the ladies and gentlemen, right in the middle, let's start with this cliche that we are living in troubling days. Because it was not enough that uh, already before this unprecedented war just hit our closest vicinity, we were already, uh, we had already problems with global warming, mass migration, pandemic, obstacles in the supply and production change of the global economy and so on. And now something happens uh, for which us, especially Europeans, uh, we were not ready. We were not uh, just uh, used to, to such events anymore as, as war. And uh, now we need to all, we need to step out of our comfort zone and, and try to facilitate peace and strive for stability. And this is the only way out of the conflict. This is what Hungary is working for uh, as member of the NATO, as member of the European Union, as member of all the international communities who are uh, doing their best uh, to achieve peace as soon as possible. And in Hungary, I have to say that uh, we have launched the largest humanitarian aid operation of our history. Since the beginning of the war, we have received already more than 500,000 people fleeing from Ukraine, and there are many more to come. And we are providing them protection and all kinds of assistance they need in line with international European and Hungarian law. And we are doing all this in the name of humanity and for the peace and security of Europe, and also in the spirit of unity and shared responsibility because Hungary has remained and remains always part of every common decision of the European Union regarding this conflict. And now, ladies and gentlemen, we have to, to talk about our common issues, our common, common policy, the, the conservatism, as, as the conference is, is rightly titled. And uh, let me start by, by historic uh, context, because I think that in the last decades, Europe has been occupied with, uh, with the false concept of, of realizing the ever closer union, which means an ever deepening integration without uh, any real objectives. Uh, it was like an objective for itself. Whatever are we always deeper and deeper? Why was the answer of the European Union to each and every crisis, let's, let's name the Brexit, oh, we need more Europe. But it was even more Europe which caused the Brexit or the concept of ever closer union. And I could also list bureaucratization and ideological crusades. Quite recently, uh, some uh, uh, prime ministers uh, also called rule of law as a crusade. Have you heard about it? Uh, this, is, uh, this is so sad that what we learned in law school is turning upside down. But because as a lawyer, I, I learned that uh, rule of law is there to put constraints, to put limits uh, to political will, to, to frame political will. But recently in the European Union, rule of law became a realizing tool for frustrated political will. Uh, it's like a back blackmailing tool to, to press member states to take the line, whatever it takes. And uh, if uh, legal norms uh, are not... Uh, enough uh, to pressure member states ideologically, then they will pressure with uh, rule of law debates, Article 7 procedures, or uh, withholding uh, funding, for example. So the weapons 
uh, of rule of law became extension of powers by stealth legal norms, extensive regulations, and ideological oppression. Europe became an unwanted normative power instead of a desired global power. It is now getting harder and harder to live up to the expectations and represent the will of its people, of its nations. The project that started as a brilliant economic cooperation and uh, the, with the objective to strive for, for peace, it evolved into something different, an empire-like entity where the duties and competencies between member states and institutions are blurred and intentionally distorted. So political correctness and multiculturalism replaced, sadly, the common sense that had made Europe the most powerful continent in the previous centuries. Let us admit, we became spiritless, enervate, and gradually powerless. We forgot the language of power. We forgot that national and European interests are not granted for free, if not consistently and thoroughly represented and defended. Some member states are still facing the spillover effects of the global economic crisis of 2008. Then the 2015 migration crisis shook the whole continent. The wind of terrorism brought fear and dissent. The history of the European Union, a success story, was interrupted. And in the wake of this crisis, issues of values and ideologies, they freely emerged. The global challenges are towering above us while we lost the path our ancestor tirelessly paved for us. What made this continent and our cultures great now they are challenged in various ways. This is the time to show strength, determination, and bravery. And this is the time to step up and protect what we believe in and what we wish to pass on to the following generations. And what is at stake is the European way of life, the respect for Judeo-Christian heritage, our common history and culture, our diversity of national identities, and our European freedom I might say, the Christian freedom. The European freedom that is resilient to the pressure of ideological hegemony and what includes not only civil and political freedoms, like freedom of speech, freedom of assembly and association, freedom of conscience, but also, for example, the right to decide with whom we want to live with, the right to defend our families and raise and educate our children in a way we wish to do. This is what we call European tradition and consider the definition of freedom. We cannot therefore let the liberal and left-wing left mainstream distort this concept of freedom and substitute it with the blunt, colorless and odorless theory of civil liberties. Instead of freedom of speech, what they want, political correctness as defined by them. And hegemony of opinions instead of a true pluralism of ideas. Whenever we are criticized in rule of law reports that there is no media freedom in Hungary, I always write back that unlike in many countries, unfortunately, at least in Hungary, we still have a real pluralism in public debate, in the media, and in the political culture. Hungarians are in a very good position to freely choose what they want to read, what they want to hear, and there is critical uh, positions everywhere in all uh, uh, parts of the political landscape. This is the real pluralism and not uh, what unfortunately we experience in many member states when 90% of the media is 
is liberal. And uh, there is no choice or no freedom of choice uh, for conservative options. So what they want is a faceless and homogeneous mass of people without identity and national character. They believe that national pride is a disgrace, patriotism is an extremism, Christianity is an antiquity, and family is just an obsolete notion of coexistence. The liberal network and media intentionally amplifies these tendencies and social engineers push us towards some sort of postmodern utopia. No gender roles, no gender identity, no beliefs, no responsibilities, only individualism, personal rights, and personal feelings that determine the rights of others. Uh, early September, there was a very good economist article. I often say this in, in presentations. Uh, and it was actually a, a ringing, uh, alarming bell by the liberals, how to save their own ideology. And uh, there was a very good sentence, which I often quote, that what we learned at law school about classical liberalism, uh, the definition was that uh, your freedom to swing your fist stops where my nose begins. But recently, today's progressives argue that your freedom to express your opinions stops where my feelings begin. So do we know where each other's feelings begin? How big uncertainty? How big room for maneuvering? How big room for uh, being hurt? Uh, how big room for uh, being feel uh, or feeling like, like a victim? Because uh, we never know where others' feelings are. That's why it was crystal clear. Uh, you know, my freedom has limits, and the limits are where your freedom starts. This is the classical liberalism. Today is, is something uh, blurred, something inconcrete, and based on the, on the woke culture, I think. That is the definition for this. So uh, what's, what's now? This is the end of the history. We do not want to end the history here. We, contrarily, we want to continue our history and prosper throughout many more centuries. And in this upside-down world, there is a great need for those voices who say so far and no further. And uh, I am happy to announce that we are looking good in Central Europe. Uh, our people, and especially our intellectuals, after 30 years of the fall of the communist regimes, now they are able to pronounce their opinions and convictions about the future of our nations and the future of Europe. Now we have this conferencing actually about the future of Europe. And we are very active on it. Hungary is on the first and second place when it comes to the activity of contributions and, and events organized about the future of Europe. And such perspectives might differ from the liberal mainstream. However, they are for the benefit of all. And in the name of rule of law, they are legitimate minority opinion and they bring intellectual challenge to the ideological monopoly and exclusivity and shed light on the old truths and principles that once made our nations great. We grew up as equal members of this community and we are now able to stand up for our beliefs and our own interests. We are able to express and at the same time to defend our point of view, even when it comes to the most fundamental questions of our societies. Central Europeans tend to agree that Christianity is not only a belief or a practice of faith, but also a cultural predestination, that families are the foundations of our societies, that a binary social arrangement is based on a man-woman, a mother-father relation, 
the social problems need to be solved internally and not with implementing an open and very wide open society. That borders do matter, that a strong Europe can only be achieved through strong and sovereign nations. That we do not need to be woke since we never fall asleep. <laughs> there is a consensus among these nations that there is a common denominator regarding conservative values and principles that we all share and protect and we will consistently represent those regardless of the overwhelming opposition. The ladies and gentlemen, in Hungary we seize the opportunity. The Hungarian people granted an opportunity to, to this government in 2010, 12 years ago. Because the people of Hungary decided to empower the government with an extraordinary two-thirds majority to bring an end to the post-communist era. Citizens gave mandate to build a state on new foundations based on the new fundamental law of Hungary. The core elements of this structure are Christian tradition, conservative values, strong nation and striving, blooming families. To us, conservatives, such a law is never just a catalog of rights and obligations or institutional and procedural regulations, but a manifest of our conviction and historical constitution. We believe, unlike socialist and liberal counterparts, that the value of neutrality, transitionality, and technical nature is not an honor, but a denial of our self-identity. If you take a look at the Hungarian fundamental law, you will see that it is not possible to simply change the title, the name of the country, and get another nation's constitution. There is no template constitution in our views. To us, it is the cornerstone and the ultimate declaration of our constitutional identity. For me, the definition of constitutional identity is as simple as, as such, that what was perceived as truth and right by our ancestors is also perceived as truth and right by the present generations. But I also asked a constitutional judge about this definition to be more precise as a lawyer. And, uh, there are many elements to constitutional identity. And he said that, uh, you know, the, the centuries-long desire for freedom of the Hungarian nation also became part of our constitutional identity. Thus, for example, the long-standing battle against Osman occupation in the 16th and 17th century also forms part of our constitutional identity. So whatever the challenge of the 21st century is today, for the Hungarian nation, our answer will always be based on this kind of identity in which all our freedom fights were built into because we never get freedom as granted. Uh, we never inherited it. We always had to fight for it. And the big uh, element or the main element of the Hungarian constitution is that the Christian, Christianity is the, the founding stone of our state. We are proud that our king, Saint Stephen, built the Hungarian state on solid ground and made our country part of the Christian Europe 1,000 years ago. It is certainly a lot. However, it is not just a number, but also a predestination to us. Christian roots and values are inherently built into our identity, history, laws, customs, and the whole society. Whether you are going to church or not, you are living your life in a way as Christianity determined it in the country and in the nation. Therefore, it would be a mistake not to acknowledge the importance and the impact of Christian teachings and practices. As the fundamental law of Hungary states, I quote, we recognize the role of Christianity in preserving nationhood. 
Apart from this religious premise, the conservative government also incorporated the most profound values of our society in the basic law while creating a modern, long-standing document that meets the demands of the 21st century. We are a modern state. We are declaring our sincere devotion to the next generation by stating that we bear responsibility for our descendants, descendants hence we protect the living condition of future generations. We have a very green constitution, actually. We already stated in 2011 that our children and grandchildren will make Hungary great again with their talent, persistence, and moral strength. These are in the Constitution, in the preamble. We do not organize our society on aid and subsidy, but we honor the work of the individual and praise the achievement of the human mind. While in many places in Europe, a liberal system was developed in which society and nation are nothing but an aggregation of competing individuals and the subjects of market economy, we believe that there is a common goal of the citizens and that individual freedom can only be complete in cooperation with the rest of the community. Because believe, we believe that individual rights come with personal responsibilities too. It is quite symbolic while the word rights is featured in 33 times uh, in the fundamental law, the words responsible or responsibility almost 20 times. So this is quite significant. Personal and community responsibility is present throughout the entire fundamental law. Freedom and responsibility, like the conservative definition. No surprise that families are at the heart of this basic law. We hold that the family and the nation constitute the principal framework of our coexistence. In Hungary, in contrast to many progressive countries, the family is not just a blood nexus, a mere legal fact, but a, a responsible community, what the, the German uh, uh, coalition agreement uh, is foreseeing, but a concept saturated with values that define our identity and our worldview. Our perception of the family sets us apart from many European countries where they strive only for the fulfillment of the individual alone, for the maximum empowerment of the individual. However, for us, family policy is not only a demographic toll, but also an identity issue, a defining element of our sovereignty. Our goal is not to relativize, but to revitalize our families. We believe that the full support of our families is the guarantee for the preservation of our sovereignty. And it's very symbolic that we spend 5% of our GDP on family uh, support schemes. This is at least double of the average in Europe. Therefore, the fundamental law of Hungary also states the protection of the marriage and that the upbringing of the children is the sole responsibility of the parent. This is also why we declare that we shall protect the institution of marriage as the union of one man and one woman, established by voluntary decision, and the family as the basis of the survival of the nation. Also, the mother shall be a woman and the father shall be a man. Naturally, we do not think that community overrides in every aspect the human existence. Of course, we too believe in individuality. But this individuality cannot be selfish, but it must be integrated, self-conscious, devoted, humble and respectful. This type of accountable individualism what societies demand in our views. Because these citizens will be able to form strong bonds and will feel comfortable living in families. Strong families are the foundation of strong communities, which are prerequisite for strong nations. 
and eventually we arrive to the point where we need to notice a strong Europe can only be built on strong nations. This link, this chain of connections and nexus was what makes us Europeans unique and resilient to the challenges of our times. Therefore, it is extremely important to understand that anyone who attacks the families or relativizes or make ridiculous the traditional family concept eventually will attack the whole construction of national identities, thus the construction of the strong European Union. It is obvious also from the above commitments that we do not see mass migration as a solution to demographic challenges. We accepted that some countries wish to become a country of migrants and we do not understand, or we do understand, sorry, that there is a deep philosophical and political difference between us and those countries about the concept of nations or Christian freedom or even differences in constitutional identity. So that's why we need tolerance uh, in understanding each other's position on migration. Nonetheless, we are convinced that mass and mostly illegal migration is not just endangering our culture, sovereignty and self-identity, but also brings social tension and inevitable disturbances while destroying the cultural identity of Europe. Therefore, we hold that European migration policy should aim at stemming the flows towards Europe, tackling the root causes and strengthening the cooperation with third countries. We have to prevent all different proposals and measures which are encouraging people to embark on these perilous journeys from the other sides of the world. And here, again, as I said in my introduction, we take it important not to draw any parallel between the current Ukrainian refugee crisis and the migration crisis of earlier years, uh, which are pressuring European borders. Because this crisis is completely different, it is clear that there is an armed conflict, there is a war in the closest vicinity of Europe, especially my country. Therefore, Hungary is doing its utmost to help those refugees coming from this uh, war conflict in line with international and Hungarian law. So, dear ladies and gentlemen, Hungary wants to save society with the right to decide about its own destiny. We should focus on our own internal resources and what we need is not an over-centralized, top-down empire which tells us how to live, but strong and successful nation-states. We need to accept that there are fields where the European integration failed, failed but we also need to highlight those where it proved uh, unprecedented successes. For example, I had been working on fighting climate change. Europe is leading the way uh, in the global uh, field how to tackle the challenges of climate change. We are only successful together. That's why it is appropriate to have common EU policies to fight climate change and step up uh, in any field of uh, environment protection, for example. But, for example, the management of the coronavirus pandemic was an eloquent example of the identity crisis of the European Union. Because when the crisis hit two years ago, the common approach was swiftly put aside and an increasing number of member states took the fight against the virus in their own hands. This was the first logic and rational reaction. Member states, they acted on their own and they were successful in their own. As Douglas Murray recently wrote, a remarkable trend has emerged that no matter how bad the situation is, the EU always finds a way to make it worse. In case of the vaccines, the Union's efforts to ensure that nobody raised a head meant that every country advanced at the slowest rate possible. 
you, you remember how, how slowly and strugglingly uh, the common purchase of vaccines started. And that's why my country opted for, uh, in line with legal, European legal framework for different alternative resources. And that's why we could vaccinate our citizens two months ahead of the average uh, of Europe. And that's why we could uh, rebound our uh, economy two months earlier because we acted on our own uh, uh, more quickly than with this very long uh, and uh, hesitant common approach. But they are doing it very right now, but the first reaction was very slow. So, dear ladies and gentlemen, these critics, these humble critics to the European Union do not mean that Hungarians are not devoted Europeans. I myself, I'm a very devoted European lawyer that's how I was, I was educated at the university. But uh, we have to realize reality. And we have to reflect on reality. And when there is a crisis, and maybe uh, there might be practical nation-state solutions, we should not set them aside. And as our fundamental law puts, and I'm quoting, we believe that our national culture is a rich contribution to the diversity of European unity. This is in our constitution. And we are also proud of the fact that throughout our centuries, Hungarians had fought with their blood to protect European borders so that uh, Europe could uh, be successful uh, while we were defending the borders from uh, foreign invasion. This is also in our constitutional identity. So we always, we've, we've been always here in Europe and we always fought for Europe to enrich their values. As Prime Minister Orban once put very, very bluntly, I could not be a European if I was not a Hungarian. Could you be European if you were not a German or another member state's nation, uh, nationality? It's, it's obvious. This is unity in diversity. And that simple it is, that is the root of everything. But it does not mean either that we should be silent when it comes to the most fundamental questions of our lives. Therefore, I urge everyone to think clearly, see through the uniform code, see through the multicultural sunglasses. We need to see that the European Union departed from its very foundations. Originally, the project had a solid base. Member states set realistic common obligations based on pragmatic objectives. For that, we also shared some competencies so that we practice these competencies together, because together there is an added value and we can be more successful together. And we were based uh, on mutual respect and trust, which resulted in a win-win situation for all participating countries, including their citizens. And there were clear framework, on, that is still in the treaty, a clear framework, which belongs to these shared competencies and which should remain in the hands of the sovereign nation state. And the founding fathers of the EU have always sought compromises among member states. They recognize that the basis of joint European success is also the tolerance of each other. However, what once used to be an economic cooperation now has become a bureaucratic superstate or supranational something. Today, a serious deficit has evolved in European institutions despite our experience of more than half a century. European cooperation is faltering, above all, because nations feel that they are slowly being stripped of their right to exercise their legitimate sovereign powers. The European Commission made a serious mistake back in 2014, if you remember. Mr. Juncker said that I want to lead a political commission. But the commission was the guardian of the treaties. 
It was the executive, not the political decision maker. And the European Court of Justice also should stop the federalizing agenda. It has purposefully extended its powers and undermined the bulwarks of national sovereignty. The president of the court already declared that they are working for a federalist union. So this is, I think, a political statement, and it should not happen uh, in the name of uh, neutrality of courts and justice systems, even in the European Union. And it must find its way back to its dedicated mandate. It is very unfortunate that in the name of political correctness, even references to Christian traditions and spirituality have now been banished in the EU debates. When I was working in the parliament, I often compiled voting lists for the European People's Party. At that time, we were uh, part of that family. And uh, it was crazy for me that uh, when there was a text, an amendment proposal with the Christian Europe, we had to put a free vote for EPP members because it was not clear that everyone shares the same value in the European People's Party, where the German member is Christliche Demokratische Union. So I think uh, for me this was the end of uh, uh, my nice world in the European Parliament. But it must be acknowledged that forcing the creation of European demos is contrary to the European ethos. United in diversity, in varietate concordia, is the official motto of the Union. This calls us to respect each other's values and perspectives, to align our positions by adopting a pragmatic approach. This motto expresses what makes Europe special and unique, an alliance of strong and culturally rich European nations. So all we need, dear ladies and gentlemen, is a brave return to the roots of the European values and the reinterpretation of these strong bonds in the spirit of the 21st century so we can digitalize and we can greening, green ourselves, but at the same time we can rediscover our values. For what? We have to address the real questions and we must dispel cliches. We want to preserve our cultures of our countries on a national basis and we want to decide how we want to live and how we want to raise our children. In this fight, our constitutional identity serves us as a compass and an ideological safeguard. The fundamental law embodies our national affiliation, our identity, our worldview, and our sovereignty, passing on the values that our ancestors formulated for the Hungarians of the future. Therefore, this constitution creates an alliance among Hungarians of the past, the present, and the future. This is also under the title, nation, community, family. These are the slogans we say, and these are the values we share. So, dear ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much for your attention. And my last uh, thought uh, is very actual because we are running around the country, we are campaigning, because in 12 days, Hungary is electing a parliamentary majority and electing a government for the next four years, on the 3rd of April. And uh, I'm meeting uh, many citizens across the country. And my message is always uh, the following, that Dear Hungarian fellow citizens, on the 3rd of April, please be aware of the fact that you are not only deciding about the future of our country, but you are also deciding at the same time about the future of Europe. Because I truly believe that many humble conservative citizens are looking at us with a lot of hope that we can continue uh, this identical conservative policy in Central Europe and we can give bravery to politicians on the other side of this continent 
to follow this policy, because this is for the benefit of Europe, this is for the benefit for all. Thank you very much. Thank you.